0: Welcome to the GPS Training Podcast, the monthly podcast
1: keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor GPS navigation. Welcome to this month's GPS Training Podcast. It's our 51st episode. This episode, I'm joined by a special guest, that's Greg Villa Villalobos, who is not only a trailer, but, but also works extensively in the world of media. So welcome, Greg, to the GPS Training Podcast. Hi, John. Um i've already told you this but you your name kept being mentioned again and again and again greg with a lot of customers um since the launch of the garmin montana 700 gps unit which ended up on a lot of trail bikes a lot of people said have you seen that guy's youtube review greg's youtube review so i uh i kind of hunted it out and i indulged it and i kind of thought oh he's an interesting guy we need to get him on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, you were you were flagged up a number of times from many, many people.
0: Oh, that's nice to hear, John. Thank you. Um, yeah, um, I mean, when that unit came out, I was kind of interested as a kind of quite a long-time user of the 600 unit. Um, and creating media is part of my job, so it just kind of made sense. Um, you know, yeah, I just kind of wanted to share my experience of it and, and see kind of... If other people could, would find that interesting, and apparently they did. <laughs> That's good.
1: We'll come to that video a little bit, little bit later on, but I think we've got a bit of backstory first. So I initially said you're a trail rider. So most of our listeners will know what a trail rider is, but some of them won't know what a trail rider is. So what is a trail rider, Greg?
0: So uh, in the context of what I do, trail riding is uh, riding a motorcycle on trails. Uh People that aren't really clued up on this area will probably say, oh, you mean off-road, you know, riding off-road. And uh, technically, no, uh, the trails that we use are roads or legally classified as as roads um, in a broad sense. And that means that all the rules of the road apply to those trails. It might look like a track. It might look like just a, a, a bit of grass and all the rest of it. But in terms of the the legal classification, they are... Uh, roads so when I say I'm a trail rider I mean I ride on unpaved roads uh, as well as road roads (laughs) to get around Um, but yeah that's my my hobby my pursuit is um, exploring the country um, and and beyond uh, on trails.
1: And on the Ordnance Survey map they're classed as boats aren't they byways open to all traffic?
0: Yeah there's some quirks to that but yes you know there's and all that kind of stuff and UCRs, but essentially it's, it's boats, byways open to all traffic.
1: Yeah. I had a really interesting conversation with the ladies, she was just coming to Christmas, this is quite frightening this, Greg, I don't know if you'll appreciate it, and she was looking at buying a GPS unit for her husband, and I said, what Ordnance Survey map does she need for it? So I said, oh, one to 50,000 map, will show you the byways open to all traffic. And uh, I don't think she believed me, she went off to Ordnance Survey and emailed them, and they said to her, no ordnance survey map except the most detailed um, ones, the county council will show them this information. I was absolutely alarmed and astonished. Uh, so I sent her a screenshot of a scale of a map and said, look, this is what he will be following. So it's quite alarming how how little is known outside the, the world of trail riding about where or what he should be doing really.
0: Yeah, it's a real, it's, a, it's quirky. So the, a lot of trail riders their route into this is um oh i've seen some people doing it i want to do it so you go get a bike and then you realize actually if you want to do it properly and and and, uh, and not break the rules um you you you're on the start of a land access journey and there's a lot of information that you need to learn. There's organisations such as the TRF out there to help you do that. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's a land access thing, and and like you say, um, there's there's a lot of nuances to it. Um, you know, ordinance, whoever from ordnance survey gave that information doesn't necessarily know all of the details there, and they're kind of right in the, to an extent because the well, they're not right, but to pick up on what you said, the the maps are only in date on the day that they're printed and stuff changes and so even though something is classified on the map you still if you want to be legit need to check your council's definitive map (laughs) So, you know it's an awful lot to take in um when you first start out
1: Mm, interesting so how did you get into it then so how long have you been riding a trail bike for and how did you first get into it
0: yeah so in the grand scheme of things, not that long. Um, in this pursuit, there are many people that are of pension age that have been doing it for most of their lives, you know, and they kind of talk back about the good old days back in you know, the seventies when you could ride a lot more routes and all the rest of it. Um, but for me, I used to live in London and then, uh, I, I had a motorcycle in London and then we moved up to Northumberland. Um, in 2012 and i had uh, and i saw people out trail riding and i was like oh i'd love to have a go on that and so i swapped my street bike for an off-road dirt bike um and started there so yeah 2012 actually whoa that's almost 10 years
1: (laughs) (laughs) 10 years celebration it's a good excuse for a party isn't it so so. and that's that's not your full-time job is it so this is that's a hobby um but what is your what is your full-time job what do you put on your your passport as your job then
0: yeah well that's (laughs) that's a hard one to describe but it kind of is my hobby and it is my job i'm quite lucky in that respect so um i used to run a design agency when i lived in london and that had nothing to do with outdoor pursuits or anything like that that was like just a a traditional kind of media agency then when i moved up north um I had a career break, and I actually started. I, I retrained as a carpenter, as a as a bench joiner, making furniture. And while I was doing that, I started trail riding, and then picked up my camera for fun, which I hadn't done for a long time because it used to be, you know, work. And then through that, um, I started to get work uh in connection with trail riding so to start off with it was for the trail riders fellowship so i started redesigning their website and their branding and all that and their communications and then that got me in front of other people and so now i am a freelancer but all my work is within the adventure motorcycling sector so my main work is with a company called adventure spec who make um clothing hard parts and luggage for off-ride uh, adventure and off-road motorcyclists so you know yeah it's um, my bike is my work as well I'm, I'm pretty lucky
1: yeah actually there's a lot there we'll jump into each of those so you quickly mentioned the trail riders federation so trail riders federation is the is it its governing body is that too strong a term or is it the advisory group or
0: Well, first of all, it's the Trail Riders Fellowship. Fellowship, sorry, 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 Fellowship. It's okay, but abbreviated to TRF. And it's a volunteer organisation. So it's kind of the the motorcycle equivalent of the Ramblers, but much smaller um, with um, many, many challenges that come with being a voluntary organisation. But essentially, the TRF exists to... um, uh, promote responsible trail riding that that's a very important part but really it's there to preserve the the legal access to the trails that remain um so making sure that those boats byways, open soil traffic um etc do not get their classification does not get um uh challenged or downgraded
1: and then you you started doing some work for the trail riders valuation as well Then didn't you, you start doing the some video work you no know, web work for them and this kind of thing did you
0: yeah 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 so when i joined in 2012 um their kind of media presence was quite dated and it, you know it wasn't really reflective of my experience of the club which was kind of very welcoming and opening um and uh, and uh, yeah so i kind of just approached them and said you, you know are you interested in kind of moving forwards a bit so yeah so i i kind of spearheaded the rebrand and built the website and all the communications and the main aim there was to uh, the the membership level was on decline so the main aim was to kind of turn it around and uh, and we managed to do that but um it was a it was a fun project it was a challenging project there's a lot of very very passion i mean it's with all volunteer organization the passions run really really high and uh, not everyone kind of likes change um but you know we, we got there in the end, and I, I, I like to think a lot of people kind of see the benefit of that now.
1: Yeah, a lot of people always we've always done it this way. Why do we need to change it?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like if it ain't broke, why fix it? But then, you know, how would you know if it's broken? Do you mm-hmm. know, maybe it is broken, maybe you're not asking yourself the right questions. But,
1: but I think as well, is that, is that also a lot of that work was you know, the perception that how trail riders are seen by landowners, other access users of the the, the rights away and this kind of thing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, so there's a certain narrative that is very easy um, to put out there, which is a, a, a negative perception of trail riding. It's very easy to, um, or, or the stories that get shared often are the negative stories of um, illegal riding, damage to the ground, all that kind of stuff. And that is not the only narrative, you know, there are a lot of people out there that Care passionately about access. Care passionately about doing the right thing. Um, and so it was an opportunity to kind of put to put out an alternate, not put in the other. Uh, put out the other side of the story, really, mm-hmm. and try and kind of address that balance. I'm not saying that the negativity doesn't exist. All I'm saying is that it's not the only side of, of the coin.
1: I think there's that across any field. There's always those people who don't don't play by the rules. No, I I always chuckle. No. Um, people know who uh, podcast. I used to be a hill shepherd you know I, I used to look after sheep for a living well actually not all farmers are good you know some farmers end up in court by the RSPCA not all walkers are good some walkers leave gates open and sheep spread out not, not all trail riders are good that's that's sadly the way the world isn't it really so we have to just train, cascade good practice good knowledge um, and, and a friendly relationship onto the people we meet while we're in the countryside don't we
0: yeah, absolutely, and you know we're living in a in a in a different era as well in terms of social media and influence that that that, that has, um, and I think that, you know now more than ever there's a, like a responsibility to kind of show best practice, and that is I believe one of the key ways to kind of promote best practices to show it, mm-hmm. you know, um, and people can will cotton on to that and follow the, those behaviors so. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we've all seen through lockdown, people just getting out of their houses like they absolutely need to and going for walks. They're not all sticking to footpaths and all the rest of it, you know. So, yeah, I I, think, you know, we could talk all day about this. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a small, we live in a small country and there's a lot of people.
1: They're exactly yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing you've been actively involved in is the the teta People don't know the Trans European Trail, which is this is this long distance trail. You know, this started being flagged up with ourselves. it be about five or six years ago. You know, so many people get mentioned to us on the on the telephone, and, and it seems to be a a massive draw for the the trail riders, you know, going overseas or in this country. If people don't really know what the TET is, Greg, can you can you just tell them in summary in Two sentences is
0: what it is. Yeah, I don't know. Why I'm doing two sentences. Okay, it's a fifty thousand kilometer, uh, GPX route through Europe on legal trails. That's the headline. You know, it's the te- The Trans Trail is like it's one of the projects I'm most proud of being part of in over the last few years, um, and it's kind of led by a guy called John Ross down in North Yorkshire. Um an Adventure Spec, the company that I work with kind of got involved, and then I got involved and I built the website and did the branding communications work on that. And um yeah, it was um yeah, it's 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 kind of the most if you if you're a motorcyclist, it's the most adventurous tour of Europe you can possibly have. Oh, and the last thing to sell on this is actually maybe it's not the last, maybe you want to talk more, but a key thing to sell on this is it's be behind that initial like. Oh, let's go have an amazing trip with my mates. For me it's a one of the key things, it's a way of distributing wealth to rural communities that wouldn't necessarily see the footfall and visitors. And that to me is kind of a really important part of it, you know, basically promoting people to to, to get on the bikes, go to areas that, that don't see a lot of tourism. And go and spend some money there,
1: because we see exactly that in the in the walking world. You know, in the walking world, you know, the Hadrians Wall Trail corridor built up over the years with walkers. You know, before the National Trail was put in place, you know, the bed and breakfast were just had the odd person staying here, there, and everywhere. And now there's so many more accommodations. You know, I always I always chuckle. You know, is think how much these people spend on a day by day basis when they eat there, they drink there, they go to the local pub, they buy the packed lunches from the local shop and things, how much money they bring into the economy. And again, when these trails are put in place, you know, a little village that has no no purpose, that sounds awful in, in this world, there's no reason to go there. Suddenly, if a, if a trail goes through, whether it's a walking trail or a motorcycle trail, suddenly there's a lot of income coming through, isn't there?
0: Yeah, there really is. I have, you know, In my head, I've got this kind of vision of like a little little old lady in a tiny little shop in the middle of Romania with like, you know, bread and milk and cheese, and then two stroke oil, four stroke (laughs) oil, and maybe a few spare brake pads, you know, like, I mean, I I joke a bit, but I'd love it to kind of get to that. Um, and I think one of the key things with motorcycling is you've, you've got that distance that you can travel. Like I'm a keen mountain biker. I'm a keen walker as well. Um, You know, so I'm not kind of saying one's more important than the other, but the thing is, on a bike, if you have a week off, you can travel a thousand, two thousand miles, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and you can take in several countries in in a in a in a week off, um, as opposed to a week's walking where you might get from coast to coast or something like that in the UK, you know. So, yeah, I think it opens things
1: up in that respect. And that kind of nicely moves me on to your first project on on your trail bike which is uh you rode from North England to Buckingham Palace on your trail bike didn't you I'm going to put some links into some of the videos that you've done because i I actually sat down um on on Sunday afternoon and uh, wrote a few notes and watched them and brilliant absolutely brilliant really nicely put together you know the way you brought people into them and and again when people listen to the podcast I'll, I'll put some links in the in the notes to these various videos so how how did that all come about so you had this idea to go from your home to london and back again uh teaming up with your your fellow riders from the trf um and yeah it didn't quite all go to plan did it It really didn't start out very well
0: yeah yeah so that seems like a long time 2016 i think it was yeah yeah and an awful lot has changed in like the technology uh, uh, and social media world since then but essentially uh Well, I think the key thing to say is that it was a time when I didn't have any children. (laughs) So I was a lot freer to do this kind of thing. Um, But essentially, the the bike that I have is a KTM 450 EXC, which is a competition enduro bike that is road legal. So it's it's really not designed for going on the road. It's designed for going on dirt. Um, And... Uh, Which is great when you're trail riding, but the thing is in the UK, the trails are all quite separated out and you've got to do a lot of road work. And traditionally people wouldn't normally do a long distance journey on this kind of bike because it's not very comfortable. Um, It's a bit like, you know, going on a long journey on a racehorse, you know? but it's the only, it's the bike I had. And one of the benefits of the bike is it's light to pick up. And that's kind of why people do it, because you fall off the bike quite a lot. Um, and so, yeah, so it's a lightweight bike. But I kind of converted it, sort of DIY converted it into an adventure bike. And I was like, look, I've got this week, two weeks off. Um, I'm just going to go off and see if I can get to London. And back. the other part of that is that finding you can't just go out and go oh there's a field i think i'll just ride across that field as you well know you know you can only go on legal trails and finding there is no uh, magic website where you can just go and punch and show me all of the trails around england it doesn't work like that and people are really surprised to find that Um, so a lot of it is based on local knowledge and so tapping into that local knowledge is a really key thing. So if I was to sit down and map a, a route from Newcastle to London and back, I mean, I, I'm i not interested in that, but <laughs> some people are, I'm not, you know, if I think about like getting all those OS maps out on the floor or digital equivalent and trying to find all these boats and link them up, it'd be absolutely, I mean, it'd be a project. I'm sure people have done it, but it'd be a real project anyway. Um, so... Uh, at the time, and again, this is there's an irony here because uh, at, at that time, and to a certain extent now, I don't really like GPS <laughs> and GPS. I'm not really a massive fan. My thing is filmmaking and documenting, and I would much rather invest my time with cameras and all the rest of it. So um, I kind of said to myself, can I get from, from the Newcastle to London and back without a GPS device? And that was the premise of the whole project. So therefore, the only way for me to do it was to tap into local knowledge. So I was a member of the TRF, and the TRF has split into regional groups all around the country. So I kind of used Facebook to basically say, "Hey, I'm going to be here. I'm trying to get to there. Are you? Is anyone available tomorrow to help show me the way?" Unfortunately, in the TRF, there's a lot of retired members who <laughs> have got a lot of free time on their hands. So I just I mean you can watch the film in the link if anyone wants to but um so it was really an investment in relationship building to help me get all the way around um and it, and it worked you know where where I couldn't on the odd time where I couldn't find anyone I would just pick up a road atlas and you know I us I I strapped a, a compass to my handlebars an old school compass so it was like as long as I'm going south I'll get there and then coming back, as long as I'm going north, I'll get there, <laughs> you know. So it's that thing, if you get to the end of a road and you go, should I go left or right? And you just, you know, follow the compass and eventually you wiggle your way around. But, you know, most of the time there were people to to guide me and it was a, yeah, it was a magical, magical trip. And it's only now in hindsight that I realize how important it was in my career to yeah. have done that and documented it.
1: And is that how you then got into that career of media? Then did other people see? Because then we kind of moved on to the, the Lyndon Posket year, which people don't know as the Paris Dakar, and you you started working closely with those guys. Is that because they saw what you were doing there, or did you approach them? Or because we're only like a two thousand sixteen now to two thousand seventeen, aren't
0: we? Yeah. So I I did that that trip and and I made the film. And anyone that's done that kind of thing, know you know it. It takes a long time to edit a film like that and put it together, but you know I enjoyed it, so i did it um and then that kind of got me a bit noticed in that in those circles and then i um and then i approached adventure spec you'll know, be i'm a freelancer i've always been self employed no one's you know jobs don't land on your lap, you've mm-hmm. got to make them you know so um i then i approached. Uh, so I met Austin Vince, actually. Austin Vince is a very kind of well-known, uh, he, he rode, he did like around the world motorcycle trips before Ewan and Charlie and The Long Way Around. He kind of pioneered it way back. Anyway, I met him actually on that trip and then subsequently became friends with him. And Austin knows the guys at AdventureSpec quite well. So he introduced me to Dave at AdventureSpec and I said, hey, Dave, this is me. This is what I'm about. Are you interested in doing a bit more media stuff? And he was. And Lyndon Poskett um, has a, had a project called um, Racist to Places, and that was put together by AdventureSpec. Right, so it, that's yeah. how that connection happened. So AdventureSpec supported Lyndon in that project in terms of a lot of the logistics, and also AdventureSpec did all the editing of all of his footage. So there was a guy, Mikey, working on that project. So I connected with AdventureSpec. Then Lyndon decided to go back and do the dakar again in south africa south america um do malimoto on that and so he went off and did that and while he was so i became his uk kind of team member so while he was racing it was my job to do all of the social updates through adventure spec um so basically you could follow his journey real time Um, and then after he came back it was my job to take all that footage and edit it into a documentary so we made the malimoto um film um so that was kind of yeah that was that was my film really using Lyndon's footage and then he did it again next year but he had a team a crew uh on the ground with him um mm. and i wasn't involved in that partly because i had young family by that point and all the rest of it
1: it's people don't know like you just need to google Lyndon poskett Lyndon poskett completely changed the world so um the Paris Dakar, you, you're already all heard of it, but better nobody's ever seen it because actually it's on it's on Eurosport you know, every night for half an hour or something with a few helicopter footage and we it's not even in the mainstream media. And Lyndon came along, didn't he? And he he financed himself. He was it. He went to one of the websites and and got funding to 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 for him to enter it, didn't he? And uh, and then he did this this video diary on a day by day basis. Uh, you're taking your top off now with your Lyndon Poskett top on.
0: <laughs> you know what? That is total, total coincidence.
1: Look at me! Look at me!
0: I'm just, I'm just hot. <laughs> oh god!
1: That's people can't see. That. I'm just a Greg <laughs> taking to his top off and he's got a Lyndon Poskett t-shirt on. Oh, there you are, right? <laughs> um, so it, yeah, it completely so... changed the world of of media, and if people like, I I I, I first stumbled across Lyndon be two or three years ago. I think I read something in. I can't remember it's a publication and I I started watching these these YouTube films one weekend and I watched the whole lot it's the most inspirational the most entertaining um short videos of of something the grace aspect now has become quite common this quick sharp way of doing things but at the time it was quite revolutionary um and and it it was and Lyndon's quite a charismatic um individual anyway. he's quite a, um yeah, and and he, he he knows what to do to camera and really, he doesn't, <laughs> he has to be honest about
0: that. Yeah. So, so Lyndon's project, Races to Places, the idea was, can you, um, so lynn has got like a, he's an engineer, he's an aerospace engineer, um, and he's had a long time in interest in bikes and in racing and he'd done Dakar previously, um, with a, as part of a team and all the rest of it. So Lyndon kind of left his job and, and decided to like ride around the world and, One of the key kind of features of the Races to Places project was to race on every continent uh, around the world. And one of the challenges of that was him to 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 build uh, uh, an adventure bike that was also capable of competing in these in these international races. Um, And And then he's filmed it as he went and obviously the more you do it the better you get so kind of as you progress through that series like you can see him really honing his craft and kind of realizing what works on camera and all the rest of it and so by uh, i'm getting a bit distracted but um so yeah so it was it was like a travelogue it was a travel series broadcast on youtube and it just came about like really the right time and by the time it got to the whole dakar it was that was the culmination of you know Dakar just happened to be one of the races that he was taking part in and the travel. The class
1: race. he does, he he looks after his own bike, doesn't he? So he doesn't have this. Some of the big Paris Dakar, te- oh no, Paris just Dakar now, isn't it? The Dakar teams have big lorries behind them and big seams. He's on this. Is it called mo- Mini Moto? What's it called? Mali. Mali so Mali, yeah, Mali
0: Moto, which is French, and it, so it means like moto in a box. Yeah. And so what it um, what it entails is your hun- so whereas the big teams racing in the main competition are supported so you ride as fast as you can then at the end of the day you get off your bike your mechanic takes the bike they fix everything you get a massage you get you know you've got a support truck and the whole works you know that's at the, the elite end um that's you know the ktm the hondas the yamahas are all up at that end then you also have the a class called malimoto which is it's just it's it's back to how the original um Dakar used to be which is completely self-supported so in that class you have to do it all on your own there are no mechanics no support you have one box that's kind of like a trunk that goes on a lorry and that's got to have all your spares in You, you know you've got a bag for your tent and all the rest of it so if you have say for example you have an incident and you come into the camp late at night you have to do all the repairs to your own bike and get some sleep and then be up for the start time the next morning it's it's really brutal and so you know just finishing that category is is an achievement let alone kind of trying to win it um you know you've it's a very different approach it's not just about outright speed you absolutely have to pace yourself and look after yourself there's a lot more going on
1: and then what you were doing in this country, you would have been working through the night then, so you would have been getting all the footage at the end of the day via satellite and broadband, and then suddenly you sit down and try and do all the social media side of it, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. That first one that we did together was, a, you know, there was a lot that didn't, didn't work as well as we would have wanted. And also Lyndon was completely on his own out there trying to send stuff back. I mean, jeez, you know, that was a hard hard job for him. But, yeah, no, I was just sat at home receiving stuff and then, cutting stuff together and updating it and trying to kind of use the social tools that we had to kind of tell that story real time um, and by the time he did it again the following year he'd had the process a lot more nailed
1: mm-hmm. there's nothing beats actually doing something and learning it on the hoof as such as there really
0: yeah, yeah. you got to do it once to learn before you can do it twice to be an expert. <laughs> <laughs> be
1: you're an expert after doing the second time, I'll be a pleased guy. <laughs> it's our, 51%, our 51st episode of the podcast and we're still learning as we go on. So. And then I think I say, I, I recommend, I say, i put some links into there. No, you know, if people don't, never seen anything, just put Lyndon Poskett. He's done a lot of other things since and, and it's actually interesting when I see your style of work and I see that I can see a lot of the influencing, you know, going on that, you know, where that's come from. It's quite an interesting um yeah, the the way it's being produced and things. You can see a lot of your work in 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 similar in what what Lyndon's doing and and the way you do it, you know the the chats to camera and and whatever, which is 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 entertaining uh, and keeps us all, you no, know, glued to the uh, the old YouTube or whatever platform watching it on. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting, um, area, you know, like lyndon has got a massive following, um, now, you know, people really like his style. Um, you know, I, the, the, uh, adventure YouTube's got 120,000 subscribers, you know, so it's a, it's a great platform for getting stuff out. I mean, me personally, I haven't got a huge following, but it's just, you know, it's quite dedicated to people that know about me. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a fun place to experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very crowded. There's a lot of other people doing similar stuff. You know, like it's. Uh, yeah, I think if you were gonna make it your living, it, it's a job. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to be creating content as as you know. YouTube create, you can get advertising revenue. You know, through YouTube, but to actually get enough revenue for it to be like a, a salary is like that is hard. Mm-hmm.
1: Really hard. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think yeah, we do a fair bit on YouTube and things, and you see, it's it's very funny because actually, when you look at the quality, you're producing very good quality, which takes the time to do, and therefore, the the return on your time is 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 expensive, really, isn't it? Where you no, know, great suspect Some people who are successful on YouTube are literally just shooting on on their iPhone and off they go, and they've done eight minutes, and suddenly they've got you no. Know, tens and tens and millions of viewers or actually to put something together to the quality that you are it's it's time and, and effort and a lot of effort to do it really isn't it
0: yeah there's just different different approaches you know for me YouTube is um, it's a it's a place for me to kind of celebrate the uh, the, ty- the the times that I spend with my friends mm-hmm. you know and if I'm not hanging out with my friends making films with them then I'm not really creating as much content you know but that's okay you know it's it's not the way that i earn my living but um yeah it's um i've been doing a lot of thinking about this actually recently which probably is it's another podcast for another time but you know why why ride you know what why buy the bikes and why do all this stuff and why and it's really it's about friendship you know and i think that this lockdown situation has really really brought it home to a lot of people like i don't although I don't mind and I do enjoy getting my bike and going off and riding on my own, you know, especially when it gives me a break from the craziness of having a young family, you know, the real reason is to go and and do it with friends. That's, that's what it's all about. And I cannot wait to do that
1: again. And there's something about when you're doing something like that with friends, that it brings you very, very close with those people because it's funny because I don't, Publicly, really say what I do, but no, I'm a key motorcyclist as well. I'm not off-road, but I do a lot of track bike. Ba- I've got a track bike. Do a lot of track days, and I go with my best friend. And you know, so I have quite a stressful job, and 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 my my friend has quite a stressful job. And suddenly, when we roll our bikes in the back of the van and drive off to Donington for the weekend or wherever we're going, you know, we, we start off with the first half an hour, or an hour, stressed and whinging, but then. We're the best of friends and suddenly you forget everything that's going on around you. And you have that great, you no know, two days away or three days away, whatever you're going to do, where you have to concentrate on what you're doing exactly the same as what you're doing when you're trail riding. And, and that's, that, you come back a, a completely different person. Uh, you do,
0: you do. And you know, I don't know. I, I mean, if, to be a good dad, I need to be a happy yeah, guy. Right. <laughs> and I can't, and I'm not saying that that needs to be like every day, all day, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But you kind of need to top up that like well of happiness every mm-hmm. now and then. And, and the thing that's really, ha- you know, my eldest is five. So, you know, six years ago I had absolute freedom and, you know, I think I was, you know, it was fine. I was blasé with that, you know, but actually now I realize kind of how precious those kind of, those, that time with friends is. Mm-hmm that you kind of you, you 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 need to like it's like a i don't know those, those memories you feed off them that mu- you know that much more now you mm-hmm. know so that like you're saying that, that two day track day that you know that might need to feed you for 12 months until the next time you can do it so mm-hmm. it's like you owe it to yourself to go out and really enjoy those two days you know
1: i should get my wife on you can tell her that are So we should move on to Adventure Spec. So Adventure Spec, as you've already said, sponsored a bit of uh, um, the early days of of (laughs) the Linden Project and this kind of thing. And and it's quite interesting, really, because it is, as you rightly say, it's a clothing brand, a apparel brand, a, no accessories. But they've got this fantastic uh, YouTube presence of you guys out on your bikes. Now... That's cool. How, do you, how, do you, how did you get that gig, Greg? Come on, that sounds great.
0: Yeah, I, I, I am lucky, John, I know. Um, but, yeah, so that... So Beck is Chris and Dave, um, Chris calling Dave Lomax, and um, they kind of cottoned on quite early early on about the power of media. And they're a small company with limited resources, but they, they saw that um, that creating media... At a time when you know we're talking like i don't know maybe as long as 10 years i've been with them for about five six years or something and you know, maybe like 10 years ago they they started doing this and and they could real see the rather than go out and spending money on a full page magazine ad you know once a month you could take the same amount of money and invest it into creating media which you had more control over and actually you could be putting it in front of kind of people that were real dedicated loyal fans you know and building a fan base like that so yeah again i'm i'm getting slightly distracted but um so they've always understood the power of media um, and doing it themselves and kind of experimenting and making up their own um forging their own path in that respect so kind of when I got involved, it I don't know I I kind of just see it. They've given me a lot of space to do what I think I'm quite good at, um, and and it's worked out well so far. You know I wouldn't want anyone to think that I'm out there riding my bike every day having <laughs> a joy. No, it's, it's a quite like, cross
1: quite a cross section <laughs> what you do because you get right down to the FAQs of a jacket or something that's quite studio based and quite um, factual <clears throat> compared to like. I'm out this weekend, and we're pushing the jacket through its paces and seeing exactly where we go. But there's a nice slant to it. It's not a salesy thing, by the You just kind of you you just define the you know the the quality of the products that you're you're mm. using. So it, it's 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 a double-edged sword, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I I kind of see my job as like helping people. Well, my fundamentally my job is to tell the adventure spec story, but like the 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 detail in that is helping people understand our gear, how it works. You know. I'm not independent, you know, I'm not an independent person that's going to go, "Uh, this jacket is good or bad. Do you know what I mean? My job is to promote the gear. So I wouldn't want anyone to think, you know, watch this stuff and think that I'm a complete like independent person, I'm not a journalist in that respect. Um, You know, I'm a marketing guy, you know, but but really. The, my style and the way I approach it is to be really kind of honest and relaxed and down to earth. I'm not really into like hype and try and kind of sell it up or anything. I'm just trying to say, this is what we made it for. And, um, this is how it performs. And I guess one of the, one of the unique things or the benefits of having me around for adventure Spec is like, I'm, I have the skill set to create media, but I'm also kind of a user of the product. And so there's a deep understanding there. And, and now actually this year, I'm getting more involved in the development of new product as well. So I've been given responsibilities about the new luggage stuff that's coming and designing the new lines of the colorways for the new clothing lines and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's it's um, there's a lot of expertise within the small team. Mm-hmm. Put it that way,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it's Still interesting. There. It's interesting. And is there and also so how many days a week do you spend doing that media stuff with with those guys then?
0: Well, I'm a freelancer, but I'm kind of you know then my main client you know so i um yeah I kind of, I've got it on a timesheet somewhere I could tell you <laughs> but it's, but I kind of work probably uh three quarters of my months is spent working with adventure spec um so yeah uh and you know like today I've been design sitting in front of my computer um looking at mailing lists and how we you know put mailing lists together to reach the right people at the right time and looking at help desk stuff you know so it's not in i'm involved in all aspects and therefore so so there's a lot of nitty-gritty boring stuff that goes with that but what it does mean is that when it comes to doing those faqs for example i've got quite a good understanding of the information that people actually want about the Mm -hmm. stuff that we make and all that kind of stuff Mm
1: -hmm. Very good. And then moving on to the Garmin uh, YouTube film that you did, which is the one that kind of flagged, was put in front of me. So you've always been a, a GPS user, because as you mentioned before you had a, a Garmin Montana 600, and then you decided to upgrade to a, um, a 700. Um, you've used other things, or you've tried other navigation devices in that period, or have we just always stuck with Garmin's?
0: So, so the the, the Garmin Montana unit, once I started trail riding, you know, quickly, it's the one that everyone uses. So it's the, the 600, the 610, the 680, um, I think it's 680. They they were the ones that, that basically everyone in my riding groups were using. And I, I think largely they're, because they're so rugged, um, they're very, very dependable units. Um, you know, we're talking like maybe 10 years ago when I started, so in the last kind of few years, mobile phones have started, you know, to come online in terms of people using mobile phones um, as as navigation devices, which is fine. It's great, you know. If I'm out doing some geocaching with my daughter, I'll, you know, just pull out my mobile phone and away we go, you know, because I don't have to rely on that mm-hmm. to get me home, <laughs> you know. Um, whereas I think when you start getting into scenarios of So first of all, when you when you're on a a motorcycle, especially a single cylinder, lightweight trail motorcycle, there's a lot of vibrations come through the handlebars. So you need a device that's going to kind of, you know, that's like you know thousands of small vibrations like every minute of use, and so you need something that's going to kind of um, withstand that and. some mobile phones don't, and then it's going to get dropped and bashed and muddy and wet and all the rest of it. And also like touch screens as well. Quite often when you're trail riding, you've got gloves on, so you need something that will work with gloves. So yeah, this the 600 unit was there. It was, it was fine. Um, And then when the 700 unit came out, I think there was this hope that it would be this unicorn, you know, amazing you know oh you know all those things that you'd said or wouldn't it be great if and and you know when you look at the picture it's like well if they've, they've ticked that box it's bigger <laughs> it's bright it's brighter do you know what i mean and it's got like in reach built into it you know so great you know so it did and it did tick a lot of those boxes um but not all of them um i should also say actually before i got this so the bike that i have the ajp pr7 uh, one of the kind of unique selling features of it is, is it has a, a tablet um, mounted to it, and it's a Samsung, it was a Galaxy Samsung tab, um, and which is a great feature. And it's actually great for the manufacturer because it's it's not tied into the actual bike electronics; it's a completely independent device, so you can change it or upgrade it, and it's not reliant on that. Um, but having used it, I mean, it was nice to have a big, you know, bright screen in front of me, but it just it it wasn't durable. And so I had that I was at that point of do I stick with the the tablet option or do I go down the the Garmin option? And uh I think if it the thing is I'm an Apple user and uh and all of the software is is, is kind of built on an Android um setup and i I just like haven't got the time to invest to le- <laughs> to learn another bit of you know, another ecosystem. And so I was just like, no, like if, if there was, if Apple, if all the software worked on an Apple, I may well get an Apple mini uh, iPad mini or whatever and use that, but they don't, you know? So, um, I was like, no, I'm not going to spend a lot of money on a rugged tablet. So I just spent a lot of money on on a Garmin Montana instead.
1: And how long did you, have that uniform and ride with it before you actually sat down and did the video. Cause it's quite in depth. I'll say I'll link to it in the, in the show notes. It's quite an in depth review really. And, and to be honest, quite comprehensive. It's not something you just kind of say, I'm going to do this this morning and do it. You, you've thought through what you're going to say. You did it in a nice way. You reviewed it in a, in a, you were told about the positive, and the negative side of it. Um, so that must have taken quite a while to, to collate that and put it together. Yeah.
0: You know, again i don't see my job not that that was part of my job that was just me doing my thing but i don't see my my role for people that follow me or whatever as i'm not there to necessarily just kind of big hype something up it's like i want to be really kind of honest and that's that's the thing you know i've spent the money before you've spent the money so let me help you decide whether or not you want to spend the money you know um so yeah i I couldn't tell you how many miles I'd done with it, Um, but I knew the previous device really well because i have done thousands of miles with that one. Um, And you can kind of... I've got a friend, uh, Will, Will Linson, who bought one at the same time, and he's quite a lot more tech than I am, and we chatted a lot about whether or not it could do this. I was like, oh, Will, can it do this? Can it do that? And, you know, so we had a lot of those conversations which helped from the technical side. Um, Yeah, I just tried to cover as much... You, you, basically, as as the the video title suggests, is like if you are a trail motorcyclist and you're interested in the Garmin Seven Hundred, then this video is for you. I didn't cut approach it from a, a cycling or a walking point of view or whatever. You know, it was literally purely unapologetically from a motorcycling point of view.
1: And I think. Well, a lot of people have found it useful because I see a lot of people mentioned to us that you know, they, they have found it useful because actually it's a it's a, a knowledgeable look at it without being a professional look at it in, in the nicest possible ways. A, mm. a user, you no, know, a user using it and and coming across to some of the stumbling blocks you came across and some of the pros that you 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 liked about it. But it is it is it's thirty minutes, is it it's a bit long? Is it? Tw- oh, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, I can't remember.
0: Oh, I just like I. <laughs> I, I think what I did, I've, in fact, I might have it in front of me. I've got, obviously, you can't see this if you're in a podcast, but <laughs> I got my, uh, my notebook and just did lots of, like, spider diagrams. And right, okay. Kind of my, my thinking on it. Maybe it's in an earlier notebook. But anyway, so just lots of, you know, okay, these, and I went through that a few times to kind of try and figure out what the kind of the key issues were yeah. um, that kept cropping up, and then I used that to create a narrative. Um, in the film so I think actually in the film maybe I maybe I had a timeline you did, you and, did. I, and I put put quest just just before I did all the graphics I just put in just white text on black background what the question was and then a gap and then I think I had that on my computer in front of me while I was filming it so it was like it was question and answer. So yep. I'd thought about all the questions and then I filmed myself giving the answers.
1: And, and the nice thing was you kind of said, this is the time of each of those questions. So actually, if you had a specific issue or something you wanted yeah. to say, you could jump forward to 22 minutes or something where you were going to discuss the mapping options or whatever the option was there.
0: Yeah, that's quite a good little feature that YouTube has. You yeah, know.
1: so it's quite, so I say it, it was quite, it wasn't just somebody rolling the camera and doing it. Actually, there'd been some thought and, and therefore that's why I say the quality of the content you were producing is far superior then again i spend a lot of time you know, on youtube and create my own coverage and, and you no know, there's often that person who's like i'm going to review this and actually has got no knowledge of it <laughs> actually yeah. there going, oh really really well it's,
0: it's the equivalent of storyboarding for yeah. you know filmmaking essentially but you it doesn't have to be storyboarded in the sense of like camera angles and stuff it's just like this is what i'm going to communicate at this bit mm-hmm. and, and that bit and that bit so um yeah. I'm just trying to do a decent job, you know,
1: Good. I'll also link to the, uh, the video I say in the, uh, in the, in the, in the, under the podcast, so people want to see it, they can watch it at their heart's content. I've, I've, I've noticed, I think it, it's a,
0: that device, or maybe Garmin in general is much bigger in America than it is over here. Cause a lot of the comments and a lot of the kind of stuff that I see chatted about, there's a lot of people in America like using that device.
1: Do you know, we've done really... The Montana 700 has been a massive, massive... Uh, again, we've sold well over 300 of them today. Wow. So we've sold a lot of them uh, to walkers, trail rides, and this kind of thing. So it is quite a specialist device because it's, it's it's not a cheap device. It's a large screen device. Um, so it is quite a specialist. So the feedback we've had has been no second to none. There are been a few glitches with it, which we, if people listen to the podcast, they know we talk about endlessly and I've had some time to <laughs> speak my honest truth about uh, Garmin and Garmin support, as you quite well do as well so uh, um so it's it's something that yeah it there there nothing's perfect uh, but it has been hugely popular it's funny because in america they have, uh, there's a big market for the the motorcyclists for the mm-hmm. quad bike um the off road because of the expanse of america i suppose compared to over here um but even over here, it was aimed very much as you know, a lot of the promotional, um, uh, the the promotional images where it mounted on a on a motorcycle or a quad bike. Uh, they call the the lifestyle images they do in Garmin. They call they, when they mm. give you the images you have your product image and your lifestyle. A lot of those lifestyle images were mounted on on motorcycles or next to tires and this kind of thing. So they're very much hitting both marketplaces. Uh, so yeah. it's interesting to see that.
0: Do you like maybe uh, maybe it's a question for after the podcast, but
1: it's okay. Like anyway,
0: great. The um Am I missing something with the street navigation aspect and the post specifically no. the postcode? You're not. Like so why I I've done some research and I what I understand is it's not it's something to do it's a bit complicated, but maybe you could elaborate on that. Like why it's, is it not
1: Do you know it's a funny thing? I've got um I'm going to be careful what I say now because actually um, I have a number of customers who do email me on a on a monthly basis about this exact subject. So people don't know, City Navigator is the is the uh, the, the equivalent of a car sat nav or a motorcycle sat nav that is built into the 700i 750i Montana. And also, you can download it from the, the Garmin website uh, on any GPS product you buy from Garmin. But the key thing is is when you download that kind of product onto your GPS devices, as Greg's kind of rightly saying, you expect to, be able to put a postcode in and say, I want to go to any 65, 7, wherever, whatever. doesn't matter. And then it would ask for a house number, like a normal car sat-nav and navigate to you. But for whatever reason, City Navigator does not do it in that way. Uh, and therefore, you can't... It, it just doesn't, it doesn't work the way a, a proper sat-nav should work. And there's no... I say I, I, I get carbon copying a lot of emails that go to Garmin from customers who are upset about this. Thankfully, in, in the outdoor world that we're in, that's less customers than in, in your world, in the in the motorcycling world. But just they just don't seem to grasp, and I can't see it seem being such a a big task to do. Um, and again, I, I get an email every fortnight from one gentleman who, who who's rightly quite upset about it. It's
0: infuriating, and I think that's something that people are hoping that this new unit would kind of address. You know, like it's because I think the Zumo does it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe. Like, and maybe that's just built on a totally different operating system, and you can't compare one with the other. But it, it's infuriating because you can, you can go, you can put in any 46, and it'll go, yep, yep. I I know that bit, but the the three, A B, no. You're going to have to tell me what the street is, yeah. um, what the house number is. I'm like, well, I don't care about the house number. I just put one, but I don't know what the street number, the name is. And then it's like, well, I can't help you. I'm like, you get so close, but just won't get you the last bit. And it's if your so... house hasn't got a
1: number, even worse, because you can't, it doesn't give lists yeah, well. of houses. So a normal sat gives a database of, uh, database it doesn't. Um, so again, unless you've got a house number, which... If you live in a city or a town, you do. But if you're in a rural location, you don't have a house number, so you can't put in, in specific postcodes.
0: And like you said, if you're marketing, if if, if Garmin are marketing this to a a, a motoring community, so trail riders, be in whatever vehicle you are, and you want to be able to navigate trails, fantastic. But if you're not, uh, if you can't give them this feature, it it just chops thirty five percent of the functionality of this device off you know which is infuriating because a
1: lot of our customers will use it in a motorhome as well as for walking so they'll use it as a device as a sat nav you know to put into their the motorhome to navigate from the caravan site and then they'll use it as a walking device so they'll see it as a crossover but yeah. without that postcode facility being as efficient as it could be it does fall over at that point and, and it's quite funny actually because i've actually leaned on you a bit here greg because actually when the customers uh Give, give us a hard time i say, there's not only us that don't know the answer no, greg he's, he's reviewed it on a, on a trail riders background see he's saying the same things we're saying it's the same things we're passing on to to garmin um mm. but it's it's a uh ah, there's if if yeah you should listen to some of our podcasts gregory on to going back to that our gripes at garmin <laughs> it's a reoccurring really theme really because uh, yeah. i think sometimes you just think there's there's the problem with garmin is a big american company and 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 get that to to be snowballed or or, or cascaded back up the uh, the chain is is quite a hard thing to do and i always say to people you know is if you've got an issue with garmin ring Garmin and tell them what that issue is yeah. and i can kind of say you know instead of 30 people telling us and then me reporting it on a on a monday meeting with garmin of which, with a great respect, I've got another 20 things to go through, and this is number 19 on the agenda, your issue and the other 29 people. If 30 people are in Garmin, they'll kind of go, oh, perhaps we should do something about this. Or if 300 people are in Garmin, they might yeah. take on board. Um, so again, I'm saying the they, they cut off my you No, know, don't gripe to me about it, everybody. Don't gripe to Garmin, and then potentially you might do something about it in a software yeah. update. Because that's all it is. It's a software I I update, mean, isn't it?
0: who... Who knows what's going on? You know, like you say, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, it's a big business, lots of products and lots of different departments, sectors. But I genuinely think if I I were able to do an update film that said, hey, look, this feature is fixed. And now this device not only gets me around trails and OS maps and all the rest of it but actually when I'm out riding and I've finished trail riding I can punch in a postcode and it'll take me there what do we think the impact would be if there are people that are on the fence and like thinking oh it's not the device for me because that feature doesn't work I'd like not just because of me because other people would be saying the same thing but I'd like to think that they would shift more units this is like really a It, this is a message to Garmin. Like, bottom line, you will make more money if you fix this feature.
1: Hundred percent. And again, it's a feature that is is her, hereditary. You no, know, they know it's there. And actually, why could that not be solved? And if it was, if you rightly say, they would clear. They would start selling twenty percent more units. And that is as straightforward as that. You know, it is a feature that will bring in more. And for me, it's, it's just a software update, or it's another database sat behind the the map. Uh, and and. I'm not that technology minded but surely that can't be such a complicated thing to do can it
0: It's odd because the data's there like the the street the street name and the house numbers you know discounting like houses that don't have or, you know that don't have a number but like you know 1 John Smith road is in the system yeah. it's there it's just not it's connecting to to the postcode the, the last part of the postcode so yeah anyway you know
1: <laughs> hey see it's not only us we have therapy on our own podcast it's nice that you have therapy as well greg <laughs> the good therapy podcast
0: the, so, I'd the for me right the last thing on it what it what it means in reality is that when we're out trail riding i can be like la di da da, look at my device it's amazing it's way better than your shitty little you know iphone over there you know ha 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 and then we get to the end of the trail and and it's like okay um you know, let's go to this campsite or whatever. And they're like, well, Where do we go, Greg? I'm like, <laughs> Sorry, you know. And then my mate over there is like, Ha 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 ha, you don't know where you're going. I do because I've got an iPhone attached to my bike.
1: Yeah. So that's know. it. Mm, go. That's good. Okay, to end up on a positive note, where can people find more about you, Greg? um Social media, Facebook, YouTube, and uh, yeah, what, uh, yeah, what, what all do they put
0: You know, just my name's pretty unique, Greg Villalobos, V-I-L-L-A-L-O-B-O-S. And, um, yeah, you know, I've got a newsletter that I put out that's, for well, I have a thing called Shoot and Ride, which is kind of for people that are kind of quite passionate about photography and and riding motorbikes. So we're kind of quite a small little community, but I I put a newsletter out um, every month to uh to, to those guys and kind of just sharing some of the stuff that i've been looking at that month and uh, celebrating some of the stuff that people in that community have been making um so yeah there's that and uh yeah you always find it weird like you know follow me like why why would you want you know but you know if you want it you know go have a look if you like what you see by all means you know join in you're more than welcome to kind of follow and be on board um
1: yeah, I think it's interesting. Again, yeah. I go back to know. I go back to even if you're not interested in the subject, you are. It's a very interesting way that you portray it. It's quite a style that like you, you've got to do. It. And I think anybody can appreciate. It. I've had me spends a bit of time looking at reviews on YouTube and this kind of thing. It's kind of, it's not just. I keep, I, I said that originally. It's not. Uh, it's not just. He or oh, I've, I've done a video clip. It's somebody who knows how to do it professionally and therefore can put something together that looks a little bit more professional. Because I go back to, let's just go back to the Montana 700, or 700i in your case when you reviewed it, is a lot of those reviews online are somebody in the States, stood in a paddock, doing a review on a product they've had for two minutes and don't really know much about it, where yours is a lot more uh, in-depth, knowledgeable, and you bring quite a bit into uh, what we do. So I think that, that's what I can take away from it really so to see that quality on on in youtube is is quite a relief really
0: well that's that's kind john thank you You (laughs) um, i'm not really interested in just kind of banging out quantity over quality you know if i haven't got anything to say that i won't say anything (laughs) you know and that's why i'm not necessarily out there posting all the time you know because it takes time when Sometimes I do it for work and and that's paid as part of my day and then I can spend time on it. But if it's not, I've got to make time to do it as well. And I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old and, uh, you know, it's not always possible. But um, yeah, you know, when I do it, I want it it to be good. You know, Um, one of the kind of real challenges, not necessarily that Montana film, but one of the challenges that I enjoy, but it is a challenge, is trying to get the balance between quality So when you're out on a journey where you are the camera guy and you're in a group of friends and you're riding on a motorbike and you're having to do everything and take the photos and all the rest of it is you really got to make your kit work for you and you don't want your kit to get in the way and so it's like trying to get that balance between having something that stands out as feeling like quality but also doesn't impede the experience of being on the journey and and that's you know a, a balance that I'm always trying to refine
1: and is that relating to your your gear you're wearing or the camera gear or both uh, kind
0: of well not so much the gear I'm wearing but you know if you think like like right now I'm looking at you and you've got a really nice big tripod, uh, not tripod, sorry, um, microphone in front of you. Do you know what I mean? And you've got you in a studio setup, and it's all controlled, you know, whereas if you were to take that out into the field and you've got wind and then you also, you're, you're going somewhere and you're like, Oh, okay, well I've got to get the shots. So everyone has to stop. And you know, it's, it's um, the more you do it, the better you get at it. But like if anyone's been out on a motorbike and they've tried to capture the essence of being there, it's not easy to do mm-hmm.
1: you know mm-hmm. that's brilliant. It's, it's,
0: i mean it's easy to turn a gopro on and let it run for like 45 minutes and then turn it off but you know
1: to make that interesting to make that 45 minutes of interesting because that is quite boring to sit there for yeah, 45 or, or, minutes yeah or yeah.
0: we'll make or we'll make it 90 seconds because that's the interesting
1: bit you mm-hmm. know so mm-hmm. uh, And finally, many thanks for listening to this month's GPS Training Podcast. If there's anything you'd like us to cover in future episodes, please do get in touch. Please do give us a call, especially if you're thinking about buying a new outdoor GPS unit. And please do take a look at both our physical GPS training courses and also our online webinars please just go to our website, which is gpstraining.co.uk and click on GPS Training Courses. If you can, please do give us a five-star rating on iTunes or whatever application you're listening to us on. And if you can leave us a snazzy review, please do. Many thanks to Greg for joining me on this month's GPS Training Podcast. It's been interesting slightly different and it's been nice to bring another aspect of gps navigation into it and uh, yeah we had a few little breakups with our zoom call but overall for rural northumberland greg i think we did all right didn't we <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it's been great i really enjoyed it john thank you for having me.
1: no problem thank you very much cheers thank you
0: thanks for listening to the gps training podcast the monthly podcast keeping you up to date with everything in the world of outdoor gps navigation